12 terrorists, one cop. The odds are against John McClane. That's just the way he likes it. Hello and welcome to I Like to Movie Movie. If you haven't guessed it yet, this week we are doing a, uh, a an excellent episode of Movie Movie for the excellent, excellent movie movie, Die Hard. Die Hard, that's right. The movie we've been waiting since the beginning to do. Yes. And we knew we would have to watch it together and we just completed that about 10 minutes ago. My name is Dan Scully. My name is Garrett Smith and welcome to another episode of I Like to Movie Movie, the podcast where we talk what we like to call movie movies. That's uh, right. Which why we love them. Yes, uh, and 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 uh, for anybody new listening, a movie movie, as far as we define it, is uh, a movie that fully takes advantage of the screen. Something a story that could only be told on the screen. And once again, here we are talking about something that started as a book. Yep, that's right, an adaptation. But it goes to show that when it comes to even the most movie of movie movies, yes. it all boils down to how good is your script. Yes. Without a good script, that's the foundation. And, and this is a great story made even better by the medium of choice. Yes. We and have, uh, we've talked adaptation before. We've talked, uh, we've talked show, don't tell before. And uh, this movie is a brilliant combination of both of those things. Absolutely. It is, is definitely a movie movie. Um, this is one of those movies that's based on a book that I would never read except for the fact that I've seen the movie and, and now I want to read the book. Great. This is it. This is perfect. I mean, if you haven't heard of Die Hard, you're probably not listening to the show. Yep. And uh, if you haven't seen Die Hard, crawl out from the hole in the ground that you've been living in and go out and see a movie that almost 30 years later is just as good, if not better, than it was. Yes. I mean, it truly improves with each viewing. And for a movie that I've seen no lie over 10 times... Mm-hmm. Um, even now watching it, there was not an ounce of uh, this again. It's, yep. it's exciting. It's 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 visceral and it's it's a blast. It's so much fun. It's a movie movie. It, it's it's the I Dan and I were debating actually whether this uh, this was perhaps our favorite. Movie. I think this might be my favorite movie. It it's, is. It's perfect. Goddamn close for me. It, it's definitely in my top five. Like whenever I list my five favorite movies, the thing is always in there. Die yep. Hard's always in there. A uh, couple of, uh, the, you know, Empire Strikes Back. Uh, so the three that always maintain for me are Die Hard, Pulp Fiction, and Boogie Nights. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, you know, that actually says says it all, really. Yeah. Sometimes RoboCop gets in there. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we can go. I, I will switch out RoboCop for Die Hard any day. It's, it's perfect. Yeah. It really is perfect. Yeah. And even now watching it for the, you know, 50th time, there's been new things that we talked about that yes. I was like, oh shit, that? Oh, that's a thing. Yes. Uh, it's brilliant. So I, I don't know where you want to uh, start on Die Hard necessarily. Uh, I, have my, I have my own theory about why it works so, so well. I think uh, we should start by saying this is not about the franchise Die no, Hard. No. Because we're trying to view Die Hard within a vacuum. Mm-hmm. Um, when it was made, it was not intended to be a franchise. Nope. Um, no, nothing really is when no. it's first made. And so existing in a vacuum, it's perfect. Mm-hmm. And sure, we're going to end up talking about what the sequels changed about it. But really, this is about Die Hard in and of itself. Don't think about the trope of McLean. No. Let's talk about the McLean that is established in Die Hard. Yes, yes. Uh, which uh, he's... He's a really interesting character. He, uh, w- I think one of the things that works so well about this movie 
is he's just a nor like a, they go out of their way to point out that he is a normal guy. Exactly, exactly. He's normal. He's he's flawed. He can die. I'm trying to pull up the year here. Um, I want to tell you it was like 89? 88. 88. And so 88 was the year of... I mean, this is about the time where things like Commando were coming Mm -hmm. out. And uh, I don't know if Universal Soldier was before this. But it was was a time uh, where our action stars were muscle-bound heavies that couldn't lose. And we didn't watch to see, oh, are they going to make it? Are they going to make it? We watched because we knew they were going to make it. Mm-hmm. We just wanted to see how many necks they were going to snap on the way. Oh, yeah. And so John McClane is different because he's flawed, he's broken, he's normal. I mean, what's one of the first things we learn about him? Literally the first thing we learn about him. He's afraid of flying. Yep, he's afraid of flying. And and another example we always talk, uh, and it's always in that first segment of show, don't tell. Yes. When he's on the plane, all we see is his hand gripping on the armrest and we also see his wedding ring. Yep. And that says so much about him already. He's, yes. he's a normal, regular guy. He's a married man. And um, we obviously know that this plot is going to involve his wife, whatever her role may be. Mm-hmm. And her role, Bonnie Bedelia, her role is, <laughs> is totally essential to it. And yeah. it's, uh, it really builds. And so we open on the plane of him being afraid of flying. And the man next to him says, you know, I fly all the time. You know what the trick is to air travel? When you get in, when you get home, take your shoes off, take your socks off, and dig your toes into the carpet. Make fists with your toes. Fists with your toes. Fists with your toes. <laughs> Which is a great recurring motif. Yeah. Uh, fists with your toes. And um, it seems real. It's an actual conversation that you would have you know, with just, a, a as Fight Club says it, a single-serving friend yes. on the plane. Yep. But it also sets up the fact that his whole movie is going to be barefoot. Yes. And that's key. That is iconic in terms of, uh, of Die Hard. And it, it gets into uh, one of the things that I think is so important and impressive about this movie, which is the script overall uh, in general. And one of the things the script does is it builds all these little details right from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, every, it feels like a book. Oh, uh, yeah. It really does. Everything that's going to happen will have been justified previously somewhere in the Absolutely. movie. Absolutely. There's not a cheat. Every ounce is earned of, of there's no just, oh, that's what's happening? Yep. Uh, okay. Uh, they want to have a scene where he like really fucking batters himself, and he's already been battered a lot, so they got him walking across some glass and bare feet. Let's give him a reason to not wear shoes. Absolutely. Yeah. It's perfect. It, it, it totally goes all the way back, and it seems natural. Yes. When the guy says that to him on the plane, like, fist with your toes, it ah. seems quirky. It yeah. seems like a throwaway. Something that would happen in we passing. We don't know. Exactly. And we don't know until much later that this is absolutely essential mm-hmm. to further tension. And this movie's filled with that. Oh, yeah. It's absolutely filled it, with that. It is a thriller uh, like we don't see anymore. Mm-hmm. I really, we often see thrillers in the horror movie context, which we'll talk about may actually have some implications to die hard uh but we normally see thrillers in a horror movie context or like a law context mm-hmm. i feel like those are the two times we see this isn't a, a procedural no and it's it's not at all it's an anti-procedural yeah. it's 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 so anti every action movie i i almost compare it to and if you will um like remember when Scream first came out, mm-hmm. and it was a parody of slashers, mm-hmm. but then every slasher just became a version of Scream. Yes. And so as a parody, or, or not even a parody so much, but as a commentary on a pre-existing trope, it ended up becoming the trope. Yes. And that only happens when something's brilliant, and I, I submit that, that Die Hard is brilliant because Every movie that is even loosely in the most ancillary ways related to Die Hard, we regard it as, oh, that's Die Hard, but on a bus. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's Die Hard, but in space. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hard, you know, it's, it's always something like that. And it's because it broke the mold and then did so well that it became the mold that all yes. future 
incarnations of it are. Yeah. Uh, and, and and one of the things we, for some reason, that reminded me of this. One of the things we talked about is it's it's also its own interesting take on a buddy cop movie. Absolutely. Which didn't even totally, I mean, it, I guess it did. I mean, you could say Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid is like one of the, the early yeah, forms of like a, bu- about that. a buddy That's like the, the water of buddy, buddy cops. That's yeah. the original. Uh, but it, it, it is it, this kind of came at a time where there wasn't a whole lot of that. A lot of that came came after this. I think movie. really Lethal Weapon was the only one, and I, I don't you know I'm gonna look it up. I, I think Lethal Weapon was before it, but still that's Joel Silver. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it it fits, and it's its own interesting take on a buddy cop movie because you have uh, Reginald Vell Johnson, uh, Family Matters, uh, playing a a street level henceforth cop. referred to as Family, Family Matters. Matters from here on out. Uh, the, who plays like a street level cop in LA uh, that is sort of outside the building while John McClane is inside the building, and they develop a very buddy cop relationship where they're helping each other solve this problem because they do end up embracing the whole you know cowboy partner. You oh yeah, yeah, yep. You know, so they really do fit that. I do have it here. Um, uh, Lethal Weapon was a year prior. Year prior. So Lethal Weapon. May may not have invented the buddy cop movie, but certainly did it Set as we know it. Yeah, and so it was a thing a little bit. Yeah, I mean there was uh, what was the movie? Now I can't think of the name of it. They tried to do a buddy cop with uh, uh, Noriyuki Pat Morita and um, Pat Morita from Karate Kid oh. and um, Jay Leno. What um, they did a buddy cop movie? I jokingly like to call it uh, Chin and Chan. <laughs> But, uh, or Chan and the Chin, whatever you want to call it. And, um, that's that's a runoff from Super Crappy. Um, but um, yeah, and, and so Buddy Cop was a thing. We do like that. But one of the things that makes Die Hard so interesting is that it is a lone man against a whole bunch. Yes. So we were able to have the fun of the Buddy Cop yes. without having two protagonists exactly. that are the lead protagonists. It's yeah. brilliant. It's a really interesting take on a Buddy Cop. Uh but uh, really, the the thing that is so impressive about Die Hard, and it's it's really what what I, I would like to to talk about and focus on, is uh, the the script, the, the not just the machinations of of how they set everything up ahead of time so that everything feels justified, but more importantly, every single character that's introduced in Die Hard has their own three act story, mm-hmm. which makes it one of the most watchable movies ever made. And I think even the background characters that we can't afford a three act yes. to aren't just empty stand-ins. No, like they're no. they're at least fully fleshed characters. Even if they don't have an arc, they are a character. But you know, just a step up from from the extra, they have an arc, and just a, a just a fucking cunt hair step up from that. Yeah. Um. Any characters beyond that do have a full three arc, and yeah. When we sat down to watch this, this is something that you had pointed out yeah. before we watched it, and so I think we were both keeping an eye open for it. Yep. And it's it's truly there's not a hole in that. Everybody has down something. to the limo driver. Yep. Everybody's got down a, to a Argyle. Job to do. Argyle. The limo Argyle. Driver. Uh, you know, it's his first day on the job. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gets stuck downstairs, but he needs to be downstairs because he's eventually going to be useful later because he's downstairs. Absolutely. And he's he gives, working on Christmas. And he's, he gives he's... John some relationship advice that ends up being useful for John. It's it's the He's got a whole arc. And you know, uh, not to peel away from that so much, but uh, one of the things that I really like about the opening, and we, we pointed this out when we were watching it just now, Argyle is such an important character in terms of of being a mirror to establish uh, John McClane's character. Yes. Because even when he, uh, he 
he arrives at the airport at the beginning in yep. Los Angeles, and he doesn't even realize that he has a limo driver waiting for him. Right. He sees it. He meets Argyle, and then he sits in the front of the limo. Yeah. And uh, it, it shows that that uh, John McClane doesn't feel comfortable sitting in the back. No. He's yeah. just a regular guy. But at the same time, Argyle's put off by it, saying, like, I've never really had anyone sit up front. Yeah. And they kind of have this... It's a nice relationship because they're both just regular working stiffs yeah. that are put in a situation that's a little bit out of hand. Now, yeah. of course, it's going to get more out of hand, but <laughs> yeah. at that point, it's just, I don't want to ride in the back of a yeah. limo. It's lonely back there. I don't know how to drive a limo. You want to sit up front with me? And it says so much about both of them without actually saying anything. Yeah. It's it's. Uh, I, the word I kept using when we were watching it is it's such an economical movie. Oh, yeah. Every ounce counts for something. There's yes. there's not a wasted moment. It's in a movie that's like two hours long. It's pretty long, actually. Uh, it never feels long. It really moves by at a quick pace, and it is because it's so economical in its storytelling. 132 minutes. So that's two hours, 12 minutes. So yep. th- that's a fucking movie. That's a really long... That's an investment especially of your time. Especially for like a, just a, what is ostensibly just an action movie. That's a very long movie. Uh, but they, they, it moves by at such a quick pace because it's just so every, every character in every scene, whatever they're saying is integral and important to the story that's being told. Absolutely. Down to the fist with your toes guy. Yep. You'd think he's a throwaway, but then you find out, no, he really sets part, you know, sets forth one of the, the key, uh, tension drawing uh, yeah. aspects of it, as well as it's just an iconic thing about it. Even the guy that clerks the store that uh, Reginald Bell Johnson buys his uh, his Twinkies from. Absolutely. Uh, he he sort of gives them this look up and down, like, hey, man, why are you buying all this food? You look kind of like a fat cop. I don't think you need all this food. And that gives us reason for Reginald Bell Johnson to say, oh, no, it's for my wife. She's pregnant. Absolutely. We it would have get- been so stupid if he was like, I got a pregnant wife at home. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, yep. why do that? No, it's, it's without beating us over the head, this movie gives us all the story we need in conversations that sound very natural to uh, the 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 scene that they're in, and uh, that scene too. Uh, while we're on it, um, one of the things that's cool about it is it does it it has that where he literally states that he has kids at home. Yeah, but it also establishes very much who he is. Yeah, he is that cop. Yeah, he is another working stiff guy, and uh, but it also shows his uh, his personality. He's yeah. he's he's a pleasant guy. He's a nice guy. He's just a regular guy. And that's something that could be established with, you know, Dexter style with, uh, you mm-hmm. know, ra- uh, just constant narration. Yep. You could have him hanging out with his kids at home, but that's wasteful. Yeah. The economy is to have it, to do it. And then credit to Reginald Vell Johnson is, is you buy it. Yeah. You know, you oh, immediately yeah, yeah, yeah. go, okay, you know what? I, I understand this. He totally sells it in this movie. Really, every actor in this, like, really sells their character. And this is a movie that almost by the, the, I won't say troubled production, yeah. but the way that the production danced around ever knowing what it really was. Yeah. It was just kind of, oh, let's make this. You know, like uh, uh, I was looking at the Wikipedia and it was initially, you know, it was a book. Um, it was They had to offer it to Sinatra because uh, the book spawned a movie that starred Sinatra. Mm-hmm. So technically, like legally, they had to offer it to him. They gave it to Schwarzenegger as a commando sequel. They shopped it around Hollywood and like nobody took it because whatever, it's just some other action movie. Yeah. Let's get this guy who who's in a you know a kind of thrilling sitcom essentially. Yeah. Let's throw him in there. He's cheap. Yeah. You know. Let's see what happens. 
And Bruce Willis stepped it up. Oh, I mean, God. Alan Rickman, a literal nobody. Yeah, we looked ends it up. up making the most iconic villain of of all time. His only credit, not his only credit, but his last credit previous to Die Hard was a a like minor TV credit three years before Die Hard. It's insane, and and he's that that made him. I mean, this oh, made everybody in it that wanted villain. to be made. Yeah, it, Bruce Willis became he became an action star, yeah. which is odd because. He's not an action star, which is what works for this movie. Is right. he's normal, yeah. But then he became, you know, you throw Bruce, Bruce Willis into it, you go, oh, shit, it's gonna be action packed. Yep. Um, Joel Silver, yep. you know, this was hot off the presses with his just very very early work in the the Shane Black style, uh-huh. you know, action comedy, and, and and so it was a mold breaker. But then yes, it became the mold. But it's it's anchored by tons of great performances oh working with the script it, and. Uh, you get the kind of one of the interesting things it does is it it introduces us to a series of characters as it goes on. Mm. It continues to build this world and bring more and more characters in. Every ten minutes or so, there's a new character introduced into the fold that adds a new complexity to the storyline. It's constantly snowballing. Yep. But but not in a wasteful way. It's, no, not once at again, all. it's super economical. Everybody yep. that comes in, you welcome them in. Yep. And then you go, oh shit, it's ten times more tense now because that just happened. Yeah. And and it adds up. Um. But but you're right. Every character has some sort of an arc. Oh yeah, and and that is so. Even the nobody uh, can really become a trope because at any chance that they even come close to becoming a trope, it, it's too late for that to yeah. to really gel because they've started on their arc. Look no further than the twin brothers that barely speak English, and yep. in any other movie like this, would just be nameless, faceless henchmen. They'd just be there to essentially die. They would be henchmen, yeah. and they are henchmen in this to the point where they barely have names. I think one of them is named Carl, and I have no idea what the other one's name is. Franz and Sassen. Yeah, Sassen. exactly. Jeremy uh, and and they they give us a little scene in the beginning where they're like they're clearly sort of like competitive brothers like they have like this weird like competitive nature with each other but then John kills one of them it's the first person he kills so the other one now needs vengeance on John uh, and needing vengeance on John causes the villains to make a few mistakes uh, that they probably wouldn't have made otherwise which allows John to get the upper hand it's all part of this bigger larger story that's being told but they each have their own story. That's being told start to finish over the course of the movie makes it highly watchable, makes it highly entertaining, and it makes it feel like this really complete work. Absolutely, you can't miss a moment. Yeah, I mean, you could, and it would still tell the story because it's so economical. Yes. but why would you want to? No, yeah, yeah there's yeah. not a point in that movie where you go, oh, "I can go pee now." It's so much you know, better. You don't want to miss it. It's fun. You want to be in this story. It is so much better when McLean hangs the one brother with a chain because we know the history that McLean has with this guy. Absolutely. And it, it adds a weight to it. And a lot of movies focus on the hostages. Uh-huh. We know nothing of the hostages. Nothing at all, short except of his our, wife. Our, yeah, and, the wife, and Nakatomi, and Ellis. Bubby. <laughs> but uh, we know everything about yeah. the henchmen, which... I don't think has happened since. Yeah. I mean, that's really not something you oh, focus it's, on. It's one of the brilliant things about Die Hard is it has smart villains. Absolutely. The villains are actually arguably much smarter than the hero. Oh, he's reluctantly thrown into yeah. this. He's he's more of a survivor. Like, mm-hmm. and So what, what I do like about it, though, is your standard cat and mouse thriller yes. is you have an antagonist chasing the protagonist, and the protagonist is always one step ahead, and yes. right when the gap closes, he comes up he with comes something up to with do something that. Yeah. But this is different. It's a cat and mouse story that mirrors itself in that 
John McClane will accidentally find a way that he's a little ahead of the bad guys, yeah. and then they see that, and they alter their plan to react. Yeah. And he sees that alteration and goes, ah, I got to do something else. Yep. And so they're constantly surpassing each other, and that adds to the tension because we don't, I mean, yeah, we know who's going to win, yeah. but we don't know what the stakes are because they're constantly, constantly changing. And at any moment, you know, a victory can immediately be turned into a defeat. Mm-hmm. You know, he can destroy a bunch of dudes in a machine gun battle, yep. but then they'll shoot out the glass and, you know, he's got to walk across glass. You know, <laughs> yeah. he can, he can uh, hang out with Hans Gruber and not know who he is yeah. and then find out who he is and, you know, give him a, a, a phony gun. It, yeah. There's always one step ahead. And um, every every character is almost a live wire. Mm-hmm. Um, what could be very procedural, not procedural, that's not the word, what could very very much be just templates being filled, yeah. the templates keep getting shattered yes. because everybody's a wild card in some way. Yes. You know, they go against that. Yeah. It's, uh, and, and you, I don't even know where to... <laughs> I don't even know where to go. To Let's keep just gush about, about this. it. Yeah. Well, uh, one thing I'll talk about: if we start at the very beginning, one yeah. of the things that I find just funny in terms of a modern viewer watching it yeah. is that uh, on the plane that John McClane lands in at the beginning, he just has a gun. Yeah, yeah. Why does he have a gun? Because he's a cop. Cops are allowed to have guns on planes. That as, is so unheard of now. And as he's, soon as he gets off the plane, he lights up a cigarette inside yeah, the terminal in the airport. Which is to me, I was like, like that's that's unheard of. Yeah. Except that was totally common. Yeah. Most planes nowadays still have ashtrays in the in the armrest uh-huh. because that's you know that's just they're a relic of a of a better time, I guess. <laughs> and. Uh, to, to quote Jeremy Piven in The Goods, they're a relic of a better time. That's a legit quote. Movie, movie. But um, yeah, and so it's definitely a product of its time, but that's not to say that there's a separation between it and now. No, no. Even now, it's very, very apt. Whereas many old thrillers, when I watch, I just go, eh, if they had cell phones, this would be easy. Yeah. But this kind of nullifies that. No. They use the walkie-talkies for that respect. Yeah. It, it, it's clean. Yeah. It comes out clean. I will say one of the things I noticed on this watch was it's very unclear how those walkie-talkies work. Mm. Certain people can hear other certain people oh, at no, certain times. I think it's times. just completely broadband. Like, no, I everybody don't think so because it. there's a point where Hans is talking to the guy that's opening the safe downstairs via walkie-talkie mm. and no one else is hearing that conversation. But then every other time they're on the walkie-talkies, they're all hearing the conversation. It's like it's not very the the rules of the walkie-talkies. They never show him switching movie. channels. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. go to go to channel 3 for safe talk. Which you would think in this movie they would because uh, they even show McLean like reloading guns and stuff, which absolutely. we never see in action movies. Never. It's. I would actually be curious to see what the the realism in terms of of just the ballistics of it yeah, are because yeah. I, I think it's pretty accurate. Seems I pretty mean, spot on. There are some concessions we have to make. Yeah. You know, a fire hose won't hold you as you leap off a building. <laughs> yeah. It might. I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> um, and this is another one, and we've talked about this before, where it doesn't matter how good your story is mm-hmm. if your characters are shit. Mm-hmm. I don't care what happens in the story. I know a lot of shitty people, and if they want to tell me about their day, I don't really care. Yeah, don't care. But the people that I love, when they tell me about their day, it could be nothing, and I want to know. And so this does a lot to provide you with characters that you do care about. Yeah. And uh, I feel like I'm spinning my wheels. I know. I don't know where to begin. It's so good. Uh, uh, Why aren't you watching Die Hard? (laughs) Stop listening to us. Go watch it. Uh, Oh, man. There was something that I just had that I wanted to talk about. Fuck. Well, if we're talking about characters, uh, and and you mentioned this earlier about how it, it does cross over into the horror thriller category. Oh, yes, yeah. Please um, talk one about of my this. good friends pointed this out to me that it is a slasher movie 
if you can if you can change the lens that you view it and you just make Hans Gruber and his gang uh, protagonists, mm-hmm. which isn't that hard to do. I mean, yeah. there's been plenty of movies where we root for the villain. Mm-hmm. Horror movies we root for the villain. Mm-hmm. Um, but in if you lens it that way, if you change your camera to point it that you're just behind the, the terrorists, yep. it is a slasher movie. Yes. They're constantly involving themselves in... What was that noise? Yeah. Let's go check it out. Yeah. Up oh, there's one less of us now. Yeah. And uh there's you know, even a the scene way. where he puts like a dead body in an elevator and writes in blood on the sweatshirt. Like, now I have a machine gun. gun. Ho ho ho. I can't I can't do it. Justice. My favorite part of that line is the way he says ho 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 because the last ho he doesn't totally say he goes, Now I have a machine gun. <laughs> ho ho ho. Ho huh? The last one is just ho. Because he's frustrated. Yeah. That's the first kink in his plan. Yep. But he's picking them off one by one. And that's such a, like, what happens when Michael Myers comes and kills all your friends? You open the closet and you find your friends hanging upside down in the closet. Yep. What happens when you piss off John McClane? He kills your friend, sends him down in an elevator with a message written on his shirt. It's slasher material. Oh, yeah. And it's always just, what was that noise? Let's oh, yeah. go check it out. Well, now there's six. Yep. And it constantly happens. And, and if you think about... uh. You know, even the the slasher movies that we love, like, I couldn't tell you a main character from... I could, but I'm not gonna. Most people couldn't tell you a main character from a Friday the 13th movie outside of Jason. Mm -hmm. And most people couldn't tell you out of the franchise of Die Hard anything but McClane. Yeah. And he is a slasher. I mean, he's a murderous bastard. Yeah. But not willingly. At least in the first one. But where this separates it and where it, it... you know, uh, breaks free from falling into the traps of like that kind of horror movie aesthetic mm-hmm. is that all of the characters do matter. We yeah. do know them. Uh, w- one of the things that we were laughing about and noticing is how detailed the script gets. So very early on in the movie, uh, Ellis, who's this douchebag that works in the office that McLean's wife works in and is hitting on McLean's wife throughout the whole movie, trying to uh, to, to make her his. Uh, he, <laughs> one of his great lines is upon meeting John, it's his first meeting with John and he's heard all about John. Uh, he's looking John up and down, realizing he's this, like, he, he's like a man's man. Yeah. Like and, he, he feels a little threatened. You and can the tell. only power Ellis has is, is money power. Hmm. Not like it's, man It's the power. classic New York, LA, yes. East coast, West coast battle. Yes. We have this gritty New York cop and this, uh, I don't want to say clean cut, but like, uh, What's the word like yuppie? Yes. Uh, you know, L.A. You know, kind of business guy. His first, the first thing he says upon meeting John is he looks at Holly, John's wife, and goes, "Show him the watch." Yeah, yeah. And she, and she's like, "No, I don't, I don't want to." He's like, "Yeah, show him the watch." And so he he insinuates that he has purchased her a Rolex. Yep. yep. And uh, he even says he goes, "It's a it's Rolex." A Rolex. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he grins his fucking like goat teeth. Oh my that god. He he's perfect. Oh, he's amazing. And I want to throw this out there. We were watching the credits, uh, but Ellis is played by my favorite name of an actor ever, Hart Bachner. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. That was pretty that good. That sounds like a Boogie Nights character, like mm-hmm. Chest Rockwell or <laughs> Reed Rothschild. Hart Bachner. And uh, so the watch, so they, they make this big deal about the watch. And it really is just, you know, it's this funny thing that he's, uh, he's too insecure. So he, he had to have proves that he, he can provide for this woman in a way that John can't through this watch. 
But then at the end of the movie, this is how detailed this script is and how in-depth and perfect it gets. At the very end of the movie, when Hans Gruber is falling out of the window and off of the building, he's hanging on to John's wife, Holly. And so Holly starts to fall out the window as well, and she's hanging on to, Gru- she's hanging on to Hans Gruber. Hans Gruber's about to fall. He's starting to slowly pull his gun out. But he will fall if he lets go of Holly. And what's he hanging on to? The watch that Ellis gave her. And so McLean gets to pull the watch off her wrist and watch the villain fall to his death. It's such that that's because I had never noticed that yeah. in my 500 times watching yeah. this movie. And you pointed it out right when it was happening. You were like, it's the watch. Yeah. And and that's that's insane. But it's perfect. That is an airtight script. Yep. Because um, it's not even something that they really call that much no. attention to. Where you know, they let only go the talk watch. about it in that scene in the beginning. That's it. And then when it happens, you can take it or leave it because yeah. it's such a great moment. But when you drink that in, you go, wow, they really planned this. That's the thing. Both of those moments stand alone as great moments that work in the scenes that they're within, right? Mm. Like when he introduces the idea of the watch, it's because Ellis's character... Uh, is is trying to prove something. You know, he's threatened by McLean, and he needs to prove that he can provide for McLean's wife in a way that McLean maybe can't. Uh, so it's all based in his character. It all comes from his character that he feels the need to call out this watch. And then in the last scene of the movie... Uh, they don't need to call it the watch at all. They can just let it fall off of her wrist. That makes him fall to his death. That's all we need. Within the context of both those scenes, that's all we need. It's driven from character. But it's a brilliant script that ties both of those things together in a larger story arc where the, the, the watch, a symbol... Uh, uh, of some sort of interruption between McLean's marriage with his wife gets taken off of her wrist in, in order to defeat the villain of the movie and reunite the two of them together. It's incredible. It's incredible. It's incredible. Just just to throw uh to throw throw the uh, the wrench into the uh, into the gears and here. It, wait, the monkey in the wrench. The mo- yeah. <laughs> what, what was the line? He was like, "It's the monkey in the wrench. It's the he pain goes, in the he ass." Because I'm the fly in your ointment. The monkey, the monkey in, in your wrench. wrench. The pain in your ass. Yeah. You know, all those classic uh, cliches. But uh, in a way, Ellis kind of saves the day at the end. Because of the watch. Because of the watch. Yeah. Which is, uh, it's it's wild. But uh, something that you said when we were watching it, the, the battle between Ellis and McLean is, is amazing. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and where the movie begins, it's clear that uh, Holly and John are estranged from one another. Yep. And Ellis represents... A bit of the new life that that she was looking for in L.A. Yes, and um, but he doesn't have that. Uh, you know, whereas McLean's a fuck up. Mm-hmm. He drinks. He smokes. He's maybe not always there because mm-hmm. he's obsessed with his job. Mm-hmm. All things that are not said but are totally insinuated and and absolutely you know definitely she part of tell. that concrete part of that. Um, but he also has that that provider mentality that it's clear that Ellis doesn't have. Yes. Uh, McLean, obviously, he doesn't know how to show it. Mm-hmm. He's kind of a fuck up. But he clearly does love his wife. Yes. Whereas Ellis, he loves himself. He and he sees He sees Holly as a trophy yes. to, to help it. And yeah, sure, he could financially provide. Yeah. But that emotion isn't there. And, and this movie starts with that. And one of the just insane amounts of levels that this movie has is just 
uh, I keep wanting to call her Bonnie. Bonnie Bedelia <laughs> uh, is Holly just once again being reminded of why she loves John. Yes. yes. And it's because, you know, whereas Ellis just wants to negotiate, yeah. John's going to fix the problem or he's going to die trying. Yep. And that's something that Ellis is absolutely not aware of and ends up dying trying yeah. <laughs> you know, because he's just so fucked up about it. Yeah. And so it, it's this weird. You know, it makes it real because not only is John trying to save his wife's life and save the day in general, but it's also it's it's a proving ground. Yes, and I, I think he is definitely threatened by Ellis mm-hmm. in a way. He doesn't show it; he's much cooler. Yeah, but he's threatened by it. And whereas that maybe doesn't fuel what he's doing, it adds depth to the fact that he wants to survive. He wants to save his wife, but. He really just wants to go home and have dinner with his kids and his wife and, and have everything be back to normal. Yeah. But there's obstacles. You know what that just made me realize? This movie does very well what Gravity didn't do well at all, and it was my only problem with Gravity. Okay. Which is that the backstory for Sandra Bullock, which uh, I understand why it's there. Uh, spoilers for Gravity, the backstory is she lost a child. Mm. Uh, and now that she's out in space almost losing her own life, She's now forced to really confront this idea of having having lost her child. She's confronting mortality and rebirth. Yes. I mean, there's visual. The the, the Oscar poster for oh, yeah. Gravity yep. is literally a picture of Sandra Bullock in a space pod in the fetal position. Mm-hmm. And it's all about rebirth. Yes. And um, But so this is my problem with that movie is that backstory seems very ham-fisted. It's sort of we're sort of beat over the head with it. Absolutely, uh, it, it, it feels we're very... there for the the, the action. Yes, that's and why it, we're there. And the way they even include those elements of the story into the movie is not that natural to the story itself. Mm. It feels like they had to tell us those things. I wouldn't so say th- that it doesn't work. I mean, I, I accept it. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I get why that story is there for that character. It yeah, does yeah, make yeah. sense because, in general, if you're going to tell a good story, you want the character to have some sort of journey, some Absolutely. sort of personal journey they're on, uh, outside of the actual action and journey that's happening. Mm. Uh, like, a journey they're on as opposed to the journey that's happening to them. Right? Absolutely. Uh, so, but my problem was the way they incorporated that story into Gravity. It felt very ham-fisted. It felt like they were beating me over the head with, like, she's got a dead kid. Uh, this movie does the same thing without beating me over the head at all. Mm-hmm. It gives John McClane an emotional backstory that makes all of this much more interesting, which is he is trying to win his wife back. And, and I, if I remember uh, when we did our episode of the best of the year, and yes. we talked about gravity. One of the things that you said that I agree with 100% is whereas it's, it's cool to have all that stuff in gravity, yeah. but the best way to solve that would be to just have none of that. None of it. Just make it about survival. Yep. Open, shut, yep. the end. And Die Hard would um, that not would work absolutely benefit elements. with that. And exactly, that's the point I'm trying to make is yeah. Die Hard. Um, yeah, it's thrilling, but what makes it fun and what makes the fact that 25 years, 20, however, I don't want to do math. <laughs> however, almost 30 years, three decades later, pretty much, you know, 25? two of us, 25, yeah. 25 years later. I mean, this movie came out when I was uh, four. So. You know, for us to still be talking about it, that wouldn't happen if it was just A to B. Yeah, yeah. You know, we have this this glowing cast. Yes. And so it sticks with us. Yeah. You know, this is the kind of movie... The first time I saw Die Hard ever was on, like, TBS. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was, like, nine years old. And even without all of the viscera and without all, all of the R-ratedness to it, yeah. I was into it. Mm-hmm. Now, whereas I would never watch it that way now without yeah. having some sort of ironic laughter to it. Yeah. Um. 
what sold me on it when I was nine wasn't, oh, look, explosions. It was, I care. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to know what happens next. Yeah. And, you know, you give me a, I'm trying to think about what, what's a, what's an action franchise now? Um, not Fast Five. No, that's, I was say, there's Fast and the Furious. That 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 uh that exists in a in a world of absurdism. That's just its own <laughs> thing. But uh, oh, you know, we'll go with Transformers. Sure. You look at Transformers; it's great. But uh, if anybody has any illusions that they're there for anything but to watch giant robots fight, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, kick rocks. It's yeah, a go, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a, you know, Die Hard makes it so that even without the explosions, without all the action, it still might be a completely passable story. Yeah. Uh, I, I that script is so amazing. I don't. That's the whole thing. The whole time we were watching it, I was like, I cannot believe how great this script is. Mm-hmm. It's so tight. It's so economical. It's unreal. The fucking news reporter has his own like pretty complex storyline where he's clearly in some kind of competition with the head anchor that's on TV every night. And at even his the news anchors station. have a storyline. Yeah, and that that even too works as world building because mm-hmm. if you haven't seen the movie, why are you listening to this? But if you haven't, <laughs> or if you don't remember. Um, there is a, a young hotshot reporter that sees this opportunity of, ooh, I'm going to go get in on this. I'm going to get the hot story, and I'm going to be the Geraldo Rivera. I'm mm-hmm. going to be that guy. But you'd think that would be enough. But when they show his background in a completely economical scene that, that isn't too much, he has kind of a stare-off yeah. with the head anchor who really wants this story but has to has to go on that night. Yeah. And so it's this small subplot yep. that each of these characters have value, but it, it definitely not only you know adds to the tension that uh, this situation is getting out of hand and the press has mm-hmm. it, but it builds the world. Yeah, um, the world that they're in is is not one of. It's not like this movie exists within itself. You get the strong sense that. Yeah, this is happening, but there is an entire world existing around yeah. this, and a lot of movies can't do that. Right, and and a lot of movies don't have to, um, but you know, some movies like this, I think, benefit from it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this great shot when they first, uh, when John McClane first sets off the explosives. And they show a very far away shot of the uh, Nakatomi building, and you can see all of L.A. and this explosion in the middle of it. And not only is that just straight, you know, blockbuster filmmaking, yeah. boom, but it's also you get a sense of, oh, people are looking at this. Oh, yeah, There's yeah. people that we don't see that are having other stories based around this. Yeah, and that's something that you can't just say. It's something that you have to show and intuit, and it absolutely it works. It's yeah. there. Well, and, the, and the, the thing I wanted to bring up about the news anchors, the reason that works so well is they tell us an entire story about this character. And again, they, 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 they give us a three-act structure for that character, for the, uh, for the news anchor, which is like they do every other character that's introduced. Uh, really, all of that is just so that eventually Hans Gruber can get the information that John McClane and Holly Gennaro are husband and wife. Yes. He eventually sees a news report where that reporter is at uh, Holly's house interviewing her children, and her children are saying, Daddy, please come home, or Mommy, please come home. Uh, and they, inter- they introduce in the news uh, broadcast that they are actually a husband and wife. Uh, so that is how Hans gets that information. Now, in any other movie, we could have just got that news report. Mm-hmm. That's all we needed. Just get that news report. See, see the kids at home and like, oh, shit, a news reporter went and did this thing, and now we have that information. In Die Hard... 
we 40 minutes earlier get introduced to the news anchor that will eventually be on that TV that will eventually give Absolutely. Hans Gruber that information. He didn't and need to at all exist. No, no. But we give him a full story. We, mm. He becomes a full-on character in this story, in this world that's being built. And it doesn't feel wasteful. It, no, it not at all. It absolutely feels imperative. Like, yeah. A lot of movies, if they pulled something like that, I would argue, like, we didn't need all that. Yeah. But uh, I don't know if we needed it, but I'm so glad we had it. Oh, yeah. You know, it didn't weigh the movie down. No, it, not it at fits. all. Uh, in fact, it actually part one of the things that's great about the movie is the pacing, and part of the pacing is that there are eventually so many balls in the air, so many characters that have their own little storylines that are happening. We can get to a, a point where there it's really an action sequence, quote unquote, but we're cutting back to what's the news reporter doing right now? Okay, cut mm. back in on the action. Cut back outside. What are the cops doing right now? Cut back in on the action. Cut back outside. The FBI just showed up. Cut back in on the action. It actually keeps the pace of the movie, the movie really moving. It keeps it quick. Keeps it breezy because you have all these just cut down to Argyle rocking out to some hip hop down in the town in the basement. That's fine. That'll get me through another uh, couple of gunshots. And you know what? I submit too. Even if uh. If we were to eliminate all of these, you know, extra characters that, yeah. that I mean aren't even really extra, but if it was just, you know, the hostages, the terrorists and John McClane yeah. and you cut an hour out of the movie, that actually to me might feel tedious. Yes. Cuz you'd be like, "Oh, is he going to survive?" and you just don't care. Right. And um so building this world around it, it feels lived in. It yeah. feels real. And so even though it's much much longer, you don't feel that drag. You're, 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 and, and that's why I would say it is a movie movie because oh, yeah. what, what were movies originally but a distraction? Oh, yeah, yeah, And yeah. this is a distraction that you, you absolutely want to invest yeah. yourself in the distraction of. Well, you know what I just realized while you were talking about that is the, the fact that there are all these other characters that in reality may not be necessary to tell this story uh, makes this an event. Absolutely. Right? Like yeah. what's happening in this building, it was kind of, kind of what you just said, actually. What's happening in this building is an event. For this whole city, mm-hmm. right? It's something that's a has widespread effects. It's not just affecting the people that are inside that building currently. Uh, so it's kind of interesting, actually. That that's probably why we get a lot of those extra characters and so much story for them is to just show how big an event this is. Absolutely. It makes us as an audience feel the impact of this event. And I, I think uh, also to it, uh, I don't know if I'm if I'm intuiting too hard here, but we talked about this how the whole movie is almost a statement against bureaucracy. Oh, I wanted to talk about this. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's get into it yeah. because, um, like for example, Hans Gruber, I can't understand how he's in charge of all these guys who could just kill him like oh, that. Yeah. He's not a tough guy. No. He, in fact, he's kind of a pussy. Uh huh. But he's smart, he's there, he's established as the leader, and they all follow, and there's this bureaucracy under him of people that do what he says. Then at the same time, we have John McClane, who is just... He doesn't want to move out west with his his nope. wife, who's got a career in whatever this business is, because he's still got work to do at home. Yeah, she doesn't want to stay at home with him because she's still got work to do out west and wants to build a career. And everyone's victims of this weird bureaucratic system. We've got family matters hanging out outside. <laughs> he knows what's going on, but yep. no one wants to listen to him nope. because they've got someone above them yep. making sure they follow procedure. Yep. And it goes all the way up to the top to the FBI, and it goes all the way down to the bottom to the limo driver. Yes. Um, even the limo driver says something when he's when he, a great cutaway scene when he's on the phone with some girl, oblivious yeah. to all of it. Oh yeah, yeah. And she's like, "Are you at work?" And he says, hey, "My boss thinks I'm on my way to Vegas right now." <laughs> yeah. So everybody is all stuck in some weird system and trying to break three, mm-hmm. break three, trying to break three. <laughs> They're up to five, trying to break free, and um. 
but there's a uh, you know there's a uh, a monkey in the wrench. <laughs> there's a pain in the ass. And yeah. It's John McClane who's twisting it all up. Yeah. And um, so there's this weird, and they play it for comedy. Where, it is um, a weird indictment of like authority, but, but I guess more importantly, like bureaucracy. Absolutely, yeah. even down to to Nakatomi. We talked about yeah. this when um when Alan Rickman. Oh, or wait, by Hans the Gruber. by the way, can we talk about this really quick? His name's not Nakatomi. Is it I not? What think. is it? It's uh it, it, Takagi. Takagi. That's it. He works for Nakatomi. Yeah. Chinese. He um, <laughs> but even him. Uh, there's a point where he's basically got a gun to his head, and they're saying, "Give us the information yeah. we need." Oh, right. Yeah, and he's saying. I don't have it. Mm-hmm. And even if I gave it to you, there's so many other pieces of this puzzle that you're not going to get what you yeah. want. And Hans Gruber's saying, I don't care. You have to give it to me yeah. or I'll kill you. I'm going to count to three. And it's a weird, ambiguous moment because... It's not clear whether he has the information or not. Exactly. And and it's believable because he's established that this as this guy that would die for his company mm-hmm. yep. because he's worked so hard for it. But he's also established as this guy that... like He, he makes a face that says... I'm about to die. I should give him this information, but I don't have it. I My hands are tied. We don't know it. And so we don't know. But once again, that's just another just bureaucratic hurdle yeah. between him surviving and between Gruber getting the information he wants. Yeah. And there's so much red tape mm-hmm. preventing this from being a cut and dry case. Yeah. That really, honestly, if you look at it now that I'm thinking about it like this. Every ounce of this movie exists because there's some sort of red tape yeah. preventing it from being done directly. Yeah. And um but we have McCain. Well, that's McClane the point. The I mean, that's the point too. McLean is the wild card. He's the guy that doesn't deal with red tape. He just fucking cuts it and walks right through it. Yep. yep. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. It's uh and, and we always talk about this and it always goes back to the Superman argument. Yeah. But um this is a movie that has unending amounts of joy for oh, a movie yes. that's so dark. Oh yes. And that's so heavy and so just fucking violent. Yes. I mean oh, we my watch God. people's heads get blown away. And um, even in scenes like when Ellis gets shot, where yep. they do a cutaway, later we're treated to a, a couple different shots, a hole through his head, his corpse getting dragged away yep. in front of all of the hostages. It's a gruesome movie, oh, yeah. but there's there's just a complete like fun and joy to it. Yeah. And that's why I always say, and everybody who who wants to be funny says, oh, it's my favorite Christmas movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah But it yeah. does capture that joy of oh, a Christmas absolutely. movie. Absolutely. You know, you feel cheerful for it. There yeah. is an odd sort of, uh, a, I don't want to say patriotism, no, but localized patriotism. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that even goes back to the whole horror allegory. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't watch to see if the people will survive and, and destroy Jason. Right. I watch to see how many fun ways Jason's going to rip their heads off yeah. before he's done ripping heads off. How many fun ways is John McClane going to kill a guy with oh, like three Tons bullets? of them. Tons yeah. of them. Yep. Yeah. It's... Uh, it's I don't know. I feel like I'm out of things it's, to say. Well, let's hold on. There's a, I actually kind of am too. So why don't we talk about this? Just favorite lines in this. Uh, this movie is full of like ridiculous okay. one-liners and like because okay, this is one of our favorite moments. We talked about this when it happened. Uh, the the one of the most famous lines in the movie is McLean in a, in a ventilation shaft. Yeah. He lights which is a, totally a trope now. Oh yeah, who yep. doesn't go into the ventilation yeah. shaft to to hide from absolutely the, you know, from whoever's chasing them? Mission Impossible, right? Like they, it's it's always. Uh, and he lights a lighter in front of his face, and then he has this ridiculous line where he goes, "Come out to the coast, have a few laughs." That's it, right? That's all he says. Uh, Come out to the coast, have a few laughs, uh, you know, get some dinner, or something, like something like that. Yeah, and then he just kind of chuckles. And then it cuts away. <laughs> it cuts away to like I don't remember like the hostages. Yeah, like yeah. for like uh, I think it cut away to the terrorists just like I call them terrorists to the to the antagonists just like marching through the halls. Yeah, 
for all maybe four seconds. Yeah. It's just a cutaway to show us something else happening in the building, and then it cuts back to McLean up in the uh, ventilation shaft. And what does he say? What was the other line? He says, no, I know what a TV dinner feels like. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. There's literally back-to-back one-liners four seconds apart separated by nothing. Yeah, to himself. To he's himself. just talking to himself. And he's constantly talking to himself. Oh, you yeah, had yeah. to go do it, John. Yeah. Eh. Well, that's how they establish it. That's, yeah, the, yeah. that's the, the way they establish his talking to himself is he's mad at himself at yeah. one point. He's like, oh, I could have saved him. I could have, and then you'd be dead too, asshole. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's true. And he, oh, that's a killer line. And it's it's one-liners back-to-back. And both of those lines are constantly quoted. Oh, yeah, yeah. Goes, no, I know what a TV dinner feels like. Yeah. That is absolutely, that has become the mold that yeah. all other, you know, one-liners come from. Uh, my favorite line, the first guy he kills, mm-hmm. um, he puts a gun right up to the guy's neck. Oh, yeah. And he says, freeze. And the guy's like, you can't kill me. You're a police officer. There are rules. And he says, that's what my, <laughs> that's what my boss keeps telling me. Yeah. <laughs> Which is awesome. <laughs> that he, but the thing is, that I, was, I was wrong when I mentioned this earlier. He doesn't just kill the guy. No. He throws, he his, throws gun his gun to away. fight the guy yeah. with because, because he wantonly wants to break the rules. I noticed that he just... It's amazing. Th- McLean. By the way, what Dan is saying is not the villain throw... McLean goes, yeah, that's what my boss keeps telling me, and then throws his own gun away. Yeah. McLean just throws his gun to the side so he can fight this guy. And then when he kills him, it's accidental. Yeah. He doesn't He doesn't. Oh, they even, just fall down a staircase. They fall down steps, and he's And the just one that dead. happens to break his neck is the villain, not yeah. the good guy. And this, this, if we take it as a franchise, this almost kicks off the insatiable bloodlust yes. that McLean yes. grows over the course of four and a half movies. The fifth <laughs> one's not a real movie. That movie sucks. Dick, and I am a pol- I am an apologist for all of the sequels, but uh, not that one. No, but yeah, he he suddenly just uh, he goes from this guy who we don't know what his police history is. Right. We know he's a troublemaker. Yep. he's he's no family matters, you know, right, shooting yeah. some kid. <laughs> but he's definitely he's got something. Yeah, and, and we don't know what it is, but uh, he definitely kills this guy. Oh yeah, and then he can't, he can't stop murdering. Yeah. But what I love is it's a light switch because he kills this guy, sees him as dead, and is like, well, now I'm going to steal his gun and taunt the terrorists yep. because why not cause oh, yeah, trouble? He, he's the body that he sends down the elevator, right? He sends him down the elevator. Yeah. And uh, now that I'm thinking about it, what's wild about it is Hans Gruber is all about stick to the plan. Yeah, and yeah, even yeah. as the plan is being forced into changing, he says to all of his henchmen, we'll take care of that later. But for now, yes, stick to the plan. Yes. Whereas John McClane has absolutely no, no plan. plan at all. He's just fly by night, whatever the moment provides. If yep. he can buy another five seconds of life, live out in of the it, moment. He will. That's the live theme the of this moment. movie. And and. and and the fact that the two of them constantly go back and forth, like the plan exceeds John McClane. Yeah. But then he reacts to it. Yeah. And then the plan is still pretty well planned, so oh, yeah. it bests him, but he reacts to it. Yeah. And then it gets to the point when it's just him and Gruber reacting to one another's developments that we realize he might not be better at planning, but now that the plan is out the window, he's so much better at surviving. Oh, yeah. And it's a, it's remarkable how quick Gruber's plan really just shatters. Oh, just unravels. Just completely unravels, yeah. and it's a good plan. Oh, it's a great you plan. Know, it really, really works. But only if it goes according to plan. Exactly. And one little <laughs> As twist I guess here any there. plan would work, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. But, I mean, he has no plan B, but also he didn't factor for the fact that what's the first cog in his plan? 
one of his henchmen has a dead brother and he's pissed. Yeah. So now he's got an unfocused subordinate yep. who will not leave this building until he gets vengeance. Oh, and that guy makes a shitload of mistakes. Makes a shitload of mistakes. But as a result, too, there's so many points where Gruber says, you know, where he says, I'll go check out the bombs. Yep. Yep. You can go get revenge. And it's all just him really trying to patch together this plan that's crumbling, whereas John McClane's strength is, oh, they did this? I'll try this? Yeah, And, yeah. and maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. It's, yeah. it's solid. I had another fucking point that I wanted to bring up, and I, I lost it in the midst of that. Um, uh, oh, did you? Oh, th- this is an interesting thing, because uh, you had told me some of the history about this movie, which which I would like to uh, talk a little bit about. Um one of the weird facts that I know about this is uh, at the end of the movie when they set off the they detonate the charges finally uh, and they blow up the whole building. There are a bunch of shots of the various offices we've seen throughout the movie just erupting into flames and being blown out the sides of the building. And there is one in particular where if you look closely, closely, there's a white couch that somehow avoids being hit by any debris lighting on fire in any way, or being blown out a window, like every other piece of furniture in every room that we see getting blown up. And apparently that's because on movie uh, sets, uh, there are certain uh, pieces of the set that will go unclaimed at the end of the movie. So if there's a nice couch, a crew member could just take that couch home, and it would go unaccounted for and no one would notice. It wouldn't be a big deal. So there was apparently a crew member on the set of Die Hard that was like, I like that white couch. I want that white couch. I know it's going to be part of this explosion scene. I'm going to make sure I place it very precisely in a place where I know it won't catch fire and it won't get hit by any debris. And apparently Joel Silver lost his goddamn mind (laughs) when he saw that shot in the daily footage. Uh, uh, the story I've heard is that he immediately fired the, the, he, he investigated and figured out who it was, immediately fired him. And he made a big deal about it that he ruined his million dollar shot of the, uh, the building exploding because he allowed that couch to survive. What's funny is I couldn't tell you what that couch fucking looks like. And uh, maybe the, the crew member was right because it's a goddamn masterpiece. Yeah. But at the same time, this is a that's such a legendary story of Joel Silver. Oh, yeah. yeah you yeah. know, and this is really his proving ground. So, yeah. of course, he was getting into yeah. that. Um, the production, like we said earlier, this movie, I don't want to say troubled, but it just it didn't really have an identity. Mm-hmm. And then it became the identity which everything compares to. Yeah. And as we were watching, one of the things we were talking about was the music. Mm. And um, the music really does play a character in this. Yes. Um, modern modern times, um, actually, that was one of the biggest problems I had with the uh, Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy, mm-hmm. which I loved. I, I'm not going to knock it. Mm-hmm. But their their score, while standalone, was good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, tell me what the new Batman theme is. Oh, I actually can tell you. Oh, can you? Here's the reason, though, because it is so minimal, it is actually striking. Okay. This is the Batman theme. Yeah, okay. Now I know it. It's two notes. Yeah, that's all two it notes. is. It's like famously two notes. Well, and that's... And that actually speaks towards the problem. A lot of movies have just this churning, just, we need something in the background. Yes. So let's just keep it churning. And so uh, one you, of the You had that, a good example while we were watching it. I don't remember what it oh, was. Oh, it was um the, the new Amazing Spider-Man. Yes. Um, which, I, I, that's like a 6 out of 10. I, I wasn't I, a huge fan. It's, it's passable for me. Yeah. I don't care. I, I don't care. My yeah. Spider-Man's always going to be the Raimi trilogy. Yeah. And... Um, 
But and that actually had a great score. Mm-hmm. But the Amazing Spider-Man, it was just this really busy soundtrack that was constantly going. So you were aware of it, almost too aware, but it didn't have anything to offer. Yeah, Whereas the Die Hard soundtrack, it has all of these punctuations to yes. scenes where you know they'll hit like a strike, they'll hit a chord, or they'll have a, re- a recurring motif of a song yeah. that constantly picks up and speaks you know to certain characters and certain actions. But it's never oppressive. You're never like, God, there's music playing. That, right. like, that's how I felt watching yeah. Amazing Spider-Man. I was like, is this music playing right. in the scene, yeah, or yeah, is yeah. this just for me? No, it complements the the camera work so well in this exactly. movie. And that's another reason why it's a movie movie, is because yeah. they don't hear this music. No. But they do act accordingly to the beats of yeah. the music. And so it's not busy because it's it's used. Yeah. Um, busy is the word that I use when you're just aware of a soundtrack. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's fine. It's better than nothing. But this, there's certain things, you know, where a character will make a realization right as a certain chord strikes. And um, I have, well, let that's... me pull up the page here about the music. One of the themes was Ode to Joy um, yeah. uh, out of Beethoven's it's probably Ninth. The, it's what you hear most throughout the movie. Exactly. And it became a theme for the Die Hard trailers. They always said, bah, 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 yeah. bah, bah. And so that's always happening. But there's a live, uh, I think it's a live band playing it at the holiday party. And so that's always going okay, on. Yeah, it's yeah. the elevator music. Yep. Um, there's a couple just score points that loosely suggest it. Um, they also have uh, for Theo's character. Theo is the computer guy yeah. who's gleefully involved yeah, and yeah, almost yeah. too good for it. But his music, he was always singing in the rain. Oh, and if you okay. listen, it's always singing in the rain, which is singing in the rain. And that really speaks to his character being playful. Yeah, he has no doubt that they're going to succeed because yeah. he knows he's the best at computer hacking or yeah. whatever the fuck it is he does. Yeah, but he's also enjoying it. Hans Gruber almost has that 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 feeling of. He's not enjoying it, but he knows how to get it done. He mm-hmm. wants it to be done, and he's happy to be doing it. This guy just seems to be who wa- watched the world burn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Uh, which is where the Ode to Joy kind of has uh, almost a it's comedic almost for for Hans Gruber because Ode to Joy, mm-hmm. and he's just miserably fighting his way through this. Whereas Singing in the Rain is just bad situation. It's raining. I'm gonna sing and dance and, yeah. and own it. And we have this computer uh, computer hacker or whatever you want. I don't know what the fuck he is. <laughs> He's as everything crumbles the whole time. He's still just gleefully doing it, and the music punctuates that in yeah. a way. And um, so, as I'm reading, I find that um, okay, that was the other thing too. Uh, the soundtrack of "Singing in the Rain" was featured in it because John McTiernan chose it as an homage to a Clockwork Orange. Whoa, which is another very soundtrack-heavy movie. Yeah, and "Singing in the Rain" is a song that. Uh, Malcolm McDowell sings as he's raping a woman. Yeah. And um but it plays into that so well for Theo's character. That guy would so be a rapist. <laughs> because he's not he's almost not doing it for the money. He's doing it to be bad. Oh yeah. yeah he's yeah, doing yeah. it for he the loves power trips. Yeah. And um and then of course the Christmas setting of the movie. Yep. Um there's certain things that when it throws to a Christmas homage, be the now I have a machine gun, oh, ho 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 yep. or the wrapping paper on his back yep. or whatever, you'll hear some jingle bells chime yes. in. And only for the length of the duration of just a shot. Yep. But it's enough to, you know, just bring you into that mood without you going, oh, there's music playing. <laughs> and that that's that's such sleight of hand that's so tough to do. You know, whereas, like I said, in Amazing Spider-Man, that the soundtrack, it worked, mm-hmm. but it was so apparent. Whereas Die Hard, 
I don't really think of a point where the soundtrack stands out unless I go to think of a point. It just flows with the movie. Uh, and McTiernan, to his credit, the camera work is uh, is actually quite good in this movie. I, re- I really like the directing in it. There's a lot of very well-chosen, like, swooping camera shots. Mm-hmm. The camera will, will zoom in and out on a character or sort of like there's a great shot where uh, – Hans Gruber. I keep wanting to call him McGruber. Every time I got to say his name, I want to. Call- it's funny you bring up McGruber because yeah. that wouldn't exist without without this. without yeah, Die Hard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there, there's a scene where Hans. I forget what he's. He's on the walkie-talkie and he hears something, and whatever he hears brings him to a realization about like who John is or something like that. And the way they indicate that is not just through um, uh, oh, what's the guy's name that plays Hans Gruber now? Um, Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman's acting. It's not just through his face. The camera literally uh, starts at at a shot where it's above him, kind of, and then swings down to be below him as a music cue goes. So, like, you get the it's again showing without telling. Like, it's the the way the camera and the music and his performance are all orchestrated together give us this brilliant moment of like, oh shit, I just got some information that I didn't have before. Mm. Uh, and the movie's full of that stuff, actually. It's it's uh, very well orchestrated uh, as far as it's directing, it's music, as far as it's directing, actually. It's camera work, oh, it's music, it's, it's performances. We talked about the scene where they re- do the reveal on Ellis's dead body. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it goes, it's um, sitting at a desk, behind yep. the desk, you know, as if you're sitting at the desk at a job interview. Yep. Your boss would be Alan Rickman and you're in the chair. Yeah. But the camera swoops behind the guy in the chair which is ellis's dead body and it keeps him very easily out of focus so that it's gruesome without being uh without being you know too specifically visceral yeah but it plays into this whole thing where the the camera sweeps around and you see before i'm trying to think of a way to describe this without using my hands because you can't (laughs) see them uh, when we're there, when we're on one side before we pass behind Ellis's head, yes. uh, Hans Gruber is making one face, yes. and then as it passes by, there's a revelation of what John McClane's doing, and his jaw almost drops. Yeah, and so it's wild to watch this lack of control happen. But once again, I'm not aware that there's a director shooting this. Right. It just feels natural. Yeah, and it's so weird for. Um, for there to be such a, I always compare it to like like Tony Scott. Um, Tony Scott, when he's nice and restrained, he uses some very active and kinetic camera work, mm-hmm. but you forget that a movie's happening. Right. Whereas like rough Tony Scott, when it comes down to something like Domino, mm-hmm. where it mm-hmm. almost just seems like they were just acting while him and his friend had a catch with the camera. <laughs> yeah. And you're just so aware of the presence of director. Yeah. That that it's rough. Um. You look back at like early David Fincher. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at um, you know Fight Club, there's a very present director there, yeah. and it's part of it. Yeah. But then as you get older and you start to see things like Zodiac and and uh, social, I almost said the Facial Network, <laughs> Facebook movie Social Network. You know the 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 stamp of the director is still there, but there's no presence. Yeah. You look at Darren Aronofsky, you look at Pi or, or uh, Rec Room for a Dream. Oh, there's yeah. such active direction. Then you watch the, the wrestler, wrestler yeah. and it's totally his brand, but it's not, you yeah. know, you're not sitting there going, this is a movie. Yeah. And so Die Hard has so many moments where it's clearly a movie, mm-hmm. but because you're so bought into this illusion, yeah. it doesn't matter. Yeah. And it keeps it being alive without being distraction, and without you know being just boring, where we're just pointing a camera at a script, yeah, you know it is a movie, movie because they're really using that. 
Yeah, and I I would submit that it, uh, just just as you said to to sort of put a capper on this, like it, it's a movie movie by way of great writing. Mm-hmm. It, it's a movie movie by way of a super tight script uh, that does something that I I can't think of any other movie. Uh, that does this, which is provide every character that's introduced a very interesting story that we can follow, that and we I'm can enjoy. I'm so glad you mentioned that before we watched it. Yeah. Because I honestly never would have thought of it because it comes off as so natural. Oh, it's so natural. It's so, so smooth. Natural. But when you're picking it apart, you're going, wow, this guy who doesn't even have a name yeah. has a story. Yeah. That's insane. It's great. It's It, it makes it so watchable. It may, I, I really think it's one of the most watchable movies ever. This is a movie that I would hands down recommend to anyone Anybody. for any reason. Well, I think it's, uh, forgive me if I'm quoting the wrong local comedian, but I think it's Steve Slaughter oh, yeah. that does the bit where he says, if you watch Die Hard closely, it's not about John McClane. It's about Reginald Bell Johnson finding the strength to kill again. Yeah, And he's right. It's oh. also about a reporter trying to find the story of a lifetime and failing. Yes. It's also about a cop who's trying to get his boss to believe him and won't. Yeah. It's also about that boss trying to look good to the FBI. Yeah. It's also about the FBI trying to exercise their control and end up being killed in a helicopter <laughs> explosion. <laughs> Which, that that never occurred to me that they fucking yeah, die. They just like, kill the FBI agents. gung-ho yep. flying around a helicopter. What does he say? Like, this oh, reminds me of Korea or something. The, no, that line is amazing. He goes, ha-ha, this reminds me of Saigon, am I right? And then... The, the, the other guy just looks up at him and he goes, what does he say? He was like, I was eight when that happened, yeah, dickhead. In, in elementary school, yeah. which is great because they're also Johnson and Johnson. Yes. The two, for no oh. reason except to be silly. Oh. And then, of course, yeah, I'll let you say it. I the, know where you're going. One of the best lines in the movie is, uh, so so they're Johnson and Johnson, and it's a white guy and it's a black guy. Uh, and when they introduce themselves, the one guy goes, I'm Agent Johnson. And then the black guy goes, and I'm Agent Johnson. And then the white guy goes, no relation. <laughs> uh, and, but the the thing that blew my mind, and you brought this up, this was this blew my mind, was at one point the white uh, Johnson is on the phone, and he goes, "Yeah, it's Agent Johnson." No, the other one. <laughs> and you were like, "What did the guy on the other end ask him?" Because the only thing he could have asked him is the black Johnson. <laughs> no, the other one. Yeah. <laughs> the other one, yeah. it's pro- which lends to the fact that their characters have depth because yes. this is a conversation he's had yes. 150 yes. times where he's like, it's Johnson. And they're like, the black one. Yeah. And it's funny because for him to say the other one, yeah. they can't have said which one. Yeah. They had to have said that there's literally nothing they else they could say have the said. Black the black one? No, the other one. <laughs> And and it's it's wild because it's that's one of those moments of joy. So even yeah. when they gleefully blow those guys out yeah. of the sky in a huge explosion, you're, like, you're yeah. just like boom. And and then when you think about it, we're talking about all of the the uh, anti blockbuster elements of this movie that yeah. make it exceed other blockbusters. But it also fulfills on all of the blockbuster oh, yeah. notes. There's explosions. There's helicopter crashes. There's gunplay. There's fist fights. Yeah. There's everything. There's there's a there's a uh, what's it you know just a sordid romance in the oh, middle yeah, of yeah. it. There's the buddy cop aspect of it. They cover every ounce of ground, and it doesn't seem. And this is going to be crazy, but I'm going to bring this up. I'll yeah. throw this out there. Tell me if I'm wrong. Um, you loved The Conjuring. I loved The Conjuring. Oh, it was great. The Conjuring ran a very, very... It walked such a tightrope of yes. just being the kitchen sink of everything yes. horror and invoking everything without overdoing it. Yeah. And we're, I think in much the same way, Die Hard um, 
it walks that line. It could have been like, well, you put everything in this. Uh-huh. But instead it was, you put everything in this <laughs> yeah. and everything else is going to have to compare. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think it really works that way. Yeah. Uh, I just thought of another line that I really loved, which is those FBI guys actually like when I think back on that movie, I always think of them as like annoying characters that I'm oh, kind of yeah. like, yeah, I can do without them. They, they have probably s- existed in the book. They, I imagine they, must. they did. They must. Johnson and Johnson. Like, yeah. what, how, that's got to come. From I would that. read that. <laughs> they uh, they have this great line where you, where they're explaining what their plan is going to be to like the other cops that are below. Like now the FBI is here. This is the plan. Uh, and they're like, uh, I don't remember how they started. It's like they, they got a couple things they're going to do first, like step one, step two. And then the one guy goes, and then we bring in the helicopters. And the other one goes, straight up the ass. <laughs> He's just a gung-ho. Yeah. And it's weird because you have to wonder how different they are from the Theo character. Yeah, yeah. Because Theo is there because, yeah, it's his job to do the computer work, but he really likes doing it. Oh, yeah. And these FBI guys represent... You the know, same like thing the same on the quote-unquote good side. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, it ends up leading to the demise anyway. Uh, yes. And um, it, it's and, and once again, that leads into the whole battle against bureaucracy because these guys are at the top of the game. Yep. Everybody answers to the FBI guys. Oh, yeah. And the one cop is... They're clearly uh, at the top of their game. They made one phone call and got two... Not just... They make a point. Not transport helicopters. Gunships. Gunships, yeah. yes. And so what's weird to think is... Um, you have okay. You have your street level cop, Family Matters, yep. John McClane, yep. up, and they're trying to impress the. Well, they're failing to impress yeah. the bosses above them, which are like you know the chiefs. Yep. And then up above that is the FBI, and that's who everyone wants to answer to. But when you meet these guys, they're not they're not there to to solve the crime. They're, they're there because assholes. they're just fucking idiots. Yeah. yeah. And like they're they're at the top because they don't give a fuck. Yeah. And so when you think about, uh, you know, the the same thing works in the hierarchy of criminals. Yeah. You have, like, your your henchman, and then you have Hans Gruber, and it's like, why is he the one in power? <laughs> Any one of them could just kill him and oh, take yeah, all yeah. of the money. But he's the one with the plan. But he's the one at the top of the bureaucracy. Yep. And and everyone has a different motivation, but it really fits into that that segmented yeah. just work within your realm. And so what pisses off the cops above McLean? Is that he's going beyond his his call mm-hmm. of duty? Whereas any cop, any cop in the world would have phoned it in, you know, hide hide it out, you know, hit out. Is that what it is? Hide, I don't know how to say that in the past tense. Hit out, hit it out, hide out, hiding out. They would have out. hidden. They would have hidden themselves yeah. and just let the system take care of it. And you know, both him and Family Matters, <laughs> that's <what's laughs> both him and Family Matters knew that the system wasn't good enough. Right. Yep. And they're going to have to play by ear. Whereas you have Gruber, who trusts the system, Mm -hmm. built the system, Mm -hmm. and it fails him. Yep. And that's what happens to every other character. They trust their system and it fails them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the cop above, Reginald Val Johnson, Family Matters, uh, like trusts the system, fails the, fails him. The uh, I don't know if you could say the FBI guys trust the system. I don't know. I don't well, know that getting they, they are the system. Yeah, but I don't know that it getting them. gunships in this situation. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, they they also have that weird line where they're like, uh, "So what's the count on this one?" And he's like, "I say we get up there, we'll take out the bad guys." Maybe 20, 25% of the hostages go. And the other one's like, I could deal with those numbers. Yeah, I can live with that. Yeah. And the thing is, that also lends to the whole uh, you know, criticism of bureaucracy because yep. there's probably a number where it's like, well, if we get over 30% of the hostages dead, 
that looks bad yeah. for the system. Yeah. But 25, that's manageable. Manageable. You know, that's manageable. We, we can, can do cover some damage that. control on that. Exactly. Yeah. And and they're almost like gleefully into it. Yeah. And and that also adds to the depth of like the one guy, the gung ho dude, uh, White Johnson. Yeah. He's a soldier. He's a soldier. He was a soldier. Yep. You know, it's it's just wild. Again, and to we think got that, that backstory. We got that backstory in just a line that feels literally right one at line. home, and it feels right at home where it is, and it plays for a joke. And and yep. even the whereas a lot of uh like oh god, I don't even want to bring it up, but Die Hard Five. <laughs> one of the things that they do in Die Hard Five that that irked me was if you've seen it, unsee it. If you haven't, don't. <laughs> But uh, he's in Russia for whatever reason, but he keeps going, I'm on vacation! And yeah. that's supposed to play for humor. Yeah. But the problem is, he's not on vacation. Yeah. His intention of going to Russia wasn't to be on vacation, yeah. and he has the option to leave at any time. <laughs> so the humor isn't earned. Yeah. It's just there because we expect it. Yeah. Whereas this, not only is the humor earned, but almost every joke is some sort of a, a contribution to the plot. You know, when he says, oh, it reminds me of uh, of uh, Saigon, yeah. and the other guy says, oh, it's a funny joke, but it also gives you enough background on both yes. of those guys. We have an older cop who used to be a soldier. We have a younger cop who's his partner. Yeah. And, and that's all said without being said. Yes. And that's that's such economy in the economical. script. It's so economical. There, there's, there's literally not one thing that doesn't matter. No. And there's so many things that do matter, but even if you took them out, it's so tight that it wouldn't matter. Yeah. It's perfect. It really. This has got to be the best movie ever made. Oh, I love it. Uh, I, I, I uh, maybe I'll use this to to kind of like wrap it up and put a cap on. I can tell you from listening to Doug Loves Movies, a great comedy podcast about movies. Uh, he has used Die Hard in a couple different categories. Okay. So I'm actually now mildly familiar with the Leonard Malton review of oh, Die yeah. Hard, which I believe he does a four star scale, and he gave it between three and four. I don't know. They gave it a full four, but he gave it between like three and four. And say, and his one comment is that the it is uh, a brilliant action film marred only by over length. So Malton's opinion actually is that it is too long. That a lot of this stuff is unnecessary. Uh, and again, I would, as you said before, almost kind of agree with that. That a lot of these characters do not need to be in this story. Uh, they don't serve much of a purpose in the story, except that in telling their stories we get a much more interesting action movie than we've ever gotten before or since. Absolutely. I'm trying um, to find Leonard yeah, Malm's yeah, review. Yeah. A, a, a much more uh, uh, complex, interesting story than we normally get in any other action movie we'll see, uh, before or after. It's, uh, it, it's, it's incredible the way this script works. Uh, it, it, just, it builds every little detail it needs. It builds it into casual conversation that feels legit to every single scene that it's in. Uh, and so you get this sort of like really complex layered story by the end of it that just fucking works. Mm-hmm. It's exciting. It's fun. It's the it's the most fun. Absolutely. It's, whenever it's I think so about a fun movie, this is what I think of. This is the thing that I'll pop in if I want to have fun. I feel fun. comfortable showing it to everybody. Like there's Anybody. a lot of movies that I like, and I'm like, you got to see it. And people are like, I don't see you. And I'm like, yeah. oh, I forgot I'm me. But like Die Hard is a universal, without a doubt. It's, oh it's yeah. A classic. And it's funny that you that you bring up Leonard Malton, you know, severely loving the movie. Yeah. You know who hated the movie? Who? Roger Ebert gave it one star. Whoa, really? Yeah. Roger Ebert gave it one star, which is wild because he's honestly usually pretty on point. Uh-huh. I, but at the same time, um, I, I, I wish I could pull it up. I can't find it. Yeah. But I would love to know what his point was. And 
if I were to guess, and yeah. far be it for me to put words into his cancerous mouth, I um, <laughs> oh I had to. I loved that man. He, he was great. Yeah. Um, but far be it for me to put words into his mouth. But because um, he wasn't going to do it. No. OK. <laughs> OK. I'll stop. I'll stop. Far be it for me to put words into his mouth. But I'm willing to bet that his criticism for Die Hard is that it was just like anything else. Oh. And when you at that time, I'd be willing to bet that he'd probably seen Lethal Weapon, probably seen that and just been like, ah, yeah. another one. But I'd be willing to bet, too. I, I bet he has a different opinion on it, you know, in the it, not the present day, but in the you know yeah, more yeah. modern day. Because when you see the effect that it had, mm-hmm. but then also personally, that's not to knock it. This is a movie that I just enjoy watching. Oh, it's so good! You know, it's, it's enjoyable. So it's it's mm-hmm. great. Uh, it's a it's a fantastic movie. Movie. It shows. It doesn't tell. Uh, it it is very complex in its storytelling, but it all works. It never feels overwrought. It never feels overlong. Uh, it's it's brilliant. It's amazing, and it's all through character. Mm-hmm. It's all through character work, absolutely. Uh, which, which is what drives, I think, most of the movie movies we talk about and probably will well, talk also, about. Also, we we covered every ounce of you know the direction was tight. Yeah, it, it was there. It wasn't just a camera pointing at it, but it wasn't excessive. Right. The score was tight. It yep. was there. It wasn't super busy, but it was used. It was yep. absolutely used to. It was milked down to just every ounce of it was used for something. Every performance was phenomenal. Everybody oh, yeah. who knew to be tongue in cheek was tongue in cheek. Everyone who knew to be serious was serious, yep. and and it, it it works for that. So really, every ounce of it is good. And cinematography was done by Jan de Bont, who went on to do Speed, which was great, and Speed <laughs> Two, which was garbage, and Twister, which I don't remember. Yeah. Um, but at, at the same time, like it's just people all at the top of their game really coming together for a project that wasn't intended to be a masterpiece right. it was just some blockbuster yeah but at the end of the day in 50 years just like mclean was just some cop just some cop but in 50 years we're all going to know his name and yeah. still to this day everything is going to be compared to die hard i, I nothing comes I close yeah nothing is really comparable anything that that could be comparable is less in terms of oh it's as good as and more in terms of it reminds me of yeah and that that is just a key to it you can't touch it and if if we can take a few seconds to go into the the franchising of it, sure, it's obvious that it was going to become a franchise. McLean mm-hmm. is so so what a likable character. What a like exactly. And what's weird is what made him so likable is what they strayed from. Yeah, because he was likable because he was just like any one of us, just a dude. And he happened to get lucky and be smart enough to pull. He it cries off. in this movie. He cries, and that's something everyone forgets about the McLean that exists from chapters three on. It's almost as if he's just like oh. Another Die Hard movie's happening to me. Good thing I know how to survive this. Yeah. Whereas in this first one, he's he's not... McLean became... He's not concerned that he needs to survive. He's just upset that he has to go through with it. Right. The first one is he, he doesn't know if he's going to survive, but he'll be damned if he's going to you know not die trying to save his wife. And there's a point where he's on the phone with Family Matters and he's talking matters of the family with him and he breaks down to tears just saying you know i i've realized that you know all of the dumb hang-ups i had with my wife moving out one way and me moving the other way are just dumb hang-ups because now that my life's on the line i realize what's important yeah and what's important is my family yeah and that's why it's a great Christmas movie, too. Yep, yep, but yep. at the same time, this is him breaking down, having a real moment mm-hmm. that any one of us in that situation would absolutely have. Yeah. If I had a wife and I thought I was going to die, I would want to get a message out to her to let her know how I felt. Mm-hmm. 
and it feels real and it feels earned. Yeah. And when he does end up surviving by the end, and even the the last scene where he walks out, you know, Hans, and yeah. there's sparks everywhere and all that. This is a man who's given up uh-huh. and is pretty much just facing it down, just like an old western. This yep. is the showdown, and and it it wouldn't work if we knew that you know, we almost know like oh he'll make it yeah but there's still that doubt and it 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 lends to that you know yeah yeah it's uh oh man i don't, i can't I, I have nothing else to say about this movie like, it's, i it's love so... taken yeah. but taken was never one of those movies where i was like ooh is he going to get her right. it was ooh how is he going to kill all these guys <laughs> until he gets her yeah and it's exciting for that reason die hard at least in part 1 is exciting because we don't know if he's going to make it. The sequels forget that he's just a dude. They eventually start having him launch cop cars into helicopters. Exactly. They exactly. make him a superhero. Mm. Uh, they, they forget that he's just an average guy. He which was is the what, anti that. Yeah. He it's, was it's the what anti-commando. Makes him such an, he's, uh, here we go. He's Han Solo. He's like he's just he's just an average dude thrown into remarkable circumstances Mm -hmm. uh, and performs remarkably well under that pressure. And what gets him through? It's not his skills. No, it's not that it's his genuine will to try his best. Yes. And that's really strange because like taken, for example, what gets him through? He's well-trained. Yeah. We know he's trained well enough. He's got a certain set of skills, Dan. Exactly. He's got a certain set of skills. And whereas Die Hard, uh, John McClane, I always called him Die uh, <laughs> Whereas Die Hard doesn't have a set of skills. Neither does Family Matters. He's got certain skills that, that he can use, but it's not like he's trained for this situation. Yeah. He's trained to be a cop. Yeah. And he's doing the best he can. Yeah. And that's why I love, yeah. what the hell does he think he's doing up there? Yeah. His job. Yeah. When when Breakfast Club says to Family Matters, what the hell does he <laughs> think he's doing up there? And then you got Ghostbusters reporting on the whole thing. <laughs> And then Harry Potter walks through the door. <laughs> Severus Snape, which, let's bring that up. Yeah. We said this earlier, Alan Rickman was a nobody. Nobody. And he is a fucking icon, and a it's all Die Hard's star fault. performance, like, like a, a star-making performance. And think oh, about that villain. one of my villain. favorite lines in the movie. This is, uh, and it, no, t- tell me what you think about the villain, because I know you're going to bring up what I'm going to say. Well, the villain is not your classic villain. Nope. He's weird. He's kind of yeah. gay. He's yeah. kind of like off. Yeah. And he's weird. But that is so unsettling because oh, yeah. whereas most he's villains so we go, I know what this villain's up to. I'm going to enjoy this snidely whiplash in villain. This guy, out. this guy, you don't know what he's up to. No. And the whole plot of this movie is that he's got everyone thinking one thing and he's playing a different yeah, game. because he's so goddamn gentlemanly. Yep. He's got one of my favorite lines in the movie is he gets uh, 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 to, 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 to Kami, what did we say his name was? Uh, Nagaki. Yeah, Nagaki. Nakatomi. Yeah, sure, Nakatomi. Chinese Chang. He's got Nakatomi in an elevator and they're riding down the elevator and it's just this really quiet, tense moment of like Nakatomi knows this guy is like, Takagi. Takagi. Uh, t- Takagi it. knows this guy. Tamagotchi. is uh, <laughs> is is going to kill him. Like he's already at that point where it's just like, oh, this guy is like he's clearly a bad dude. He's going to kill me. And they're in this elevator, and they're just quietly going down the elevator. Nobody's talking. And Alan Rickman just looks over at him and goes, "Nice suit." Yeah, he I've just, got two myself. Yeah, he just compliments his clothing. And then they use that later, though, because that's, yeah. that's a nice light moment because yep. it's funny. It's very scary, though, because yeah. it, it lends you to go, oh, this guy really doesn't give a fuck. But then later he says, uh, minutes later when he's about to shoot him, yep. he says, you know, give me the, the passcodes that I want. It would be a shame to ruin such a nice yeah. suit, yeah. Yeah. which is just a really fucked up way of saying, I'm going to blow your brains yep. out and there's going to be blood everywhere. Yeah. And there is, and we see it many times many. throughout the movie yeah 
but by the way, Die Hard, the only movie to turn a, a zigzagging table into an action sequence. Oh, yeah. Which another great one-liner. Yeah. Another great one-liner uh, when the guy uh, is on top of the table shooting down at McLean, who's under the table, unable to see him. And uh, this is a guy that McLean had an opportunity to shoot and yeah. didn't. And the oh, guy yes. says... Uh, you know, next time you have a chance to kill me, you know, next time you have a chance to shoot or take the shot, you should take it. Yeah. And right as he says that, he reloads his gun like an idiot. Yes. And McLean shoots him in the dick until he's dead. <laughs> then says, what was his line? Or like, thanks for thanks the heads for the advice. Yeah, thanks for the advice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was a good line. Um, oh, Hans. Bobby. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I'm your disgusting. white knight. I'm your white knight. Yeah. I can give you McLean. Yeah. He reminds me of I don't know if you ever saw the episode of Futurama with um where Fry goes to a uh support group for people who have been frozen in the past. Okay. And he meets a high powered nineteen eighties businessman okay. who froze himself because he was suffering from the incurable disease bonitis. <laughs> but uh he's that guy, oh baby, what's yeah. happening? Yeah. And uh that I am 100% convinced that they based it on Ellis and characters be. like him. Yeah. He's, he has this great line. He's training Fry. He says, Fry, uh, we're going to work on your business speak. And he pulls out some index cards and he goes, all right, uh, I'm worried about blank. And Fry goes, don't you worry about blank. Let me worry about blank. <laughs> and the guy's like, great. We also would have accepted blank, blank. You're not looking at the big picture. <laughs> and that to me screams Ellis. Like, that is exactly yeah. the, the trope that he's that yes. he is. But he existed before the trope. I mean, he's the yeah. one. Yeah. It's he, it's he wild. Created the trope. Uh I, th- I I got nothing more for Die Hard. I don't I don't think I, I can like keep I doing it. I should have more. I, I know. But uh, my wheels are spinning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I we, do we've been doing almost an hour and a half on this. We overall we actually oh, have really uh we, we had a lot to say, more than we thought. Well, um, I will say to the listeners um I, I vow that we're going to do this whole series. Oh, uh, yeah. I really think we should, especially because you've not seen part two. I've not two. seen part two. I've seen and three and four. so ripe for discussion. Yeah. So we'll, uh, in, a, in a couple weeks, we'll revisit uh, yeah, yeah, the yeah. series, maybe in a couple well, months. And maybe maybe over the course of this year, we'll get, we'll get through some Die we'll Hard. We'll get through some Die Hard, and, yeah. and it'll be worth it. But uh, if you especially haven't seen the last it, one. you're really... Oh, that'll <laughs> be the one non-movie movie that we do, short of like Superman, when yeah. we do that. Yeah. Although that's going to get Sydney in here, which will be Oh, phenomenal. that'll be... Yeah, yeah. But it's Die Hard's one of those movies that if you haven't seen it, I don't think you're alive. It no, it's you it's homework. Really it's America need to homework. See this movie. It's uh, it's America homework. Well, there's certain movies that if you live yeah. in America and you haven't seen them, you're uh, doing it wrong. To be fair, wrong. by the time you get to the fourth one, it is just all about America. Oh yeah. That John McClane is the most American man there is, mm-hmm. and only he could save America. He goes to Russia to yeah. teach them the American way of <laughs> just bloating a movie beyond its, its limit. Oh, I fucking hate that movie. Uh, all right, so uh, the way we like to end uh, every episode of I Like to Movie Movie is to talk about another movie that we've seen recently that we'd yes. like to recommend. Uh, and I'm going to go ahead and recommend the only movie I have seen recently, which is Akira. Oh, yes. nice. Uh, Dan and I went to see Akira on the big screen uh, recently, which was a unique experience. Uh, I, I think that's deserving of an episode in a way. I, I, I would think so, too, actually. It's it's sort of the uh, movie that brought anime to the States. It was one of the first big-budget anime movies uh, back in the 80s. It's based on a great manga, and it's uh, it's a pretty fantastic animated movie. The animation is stellar. Uh, the story is weird and but very captivating and interesting, mm. uh, and it uh, it has a lot of actually like pretty heady themes at play. And I it. think too, you're gonna watch it and go, "Oh, 
Now I get that reference. Oh, like yeah. Like something later yes. referenced yes. it and you go, oh, shit, now I get it. Absolutely. It yeah. really is iconic. And yeah. for someone who's only seen a small amount of Japanimation and like mm-hmm. I do like it, yeah. but I don't have a full understanding of it as people who are diehard fans. This is a movie that I think is as weirdly inaccessible as it would seem is totally accessible. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, honestly, the soundtrack, we were laughing at it. Oh, yeah, yeah, Partially because yeah. we were stoned, but yeah. it was... Uh, it was effective. Like it, oh, it yeah. really was unique and worked. It was a the, cool movie. It's just it's very bizarre, but it's it's totally worth getting into and sitting through. It's 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 mm-hmm. very fun. It's very interesting, uh, and it actually that's one of the things I like about it is it does have a lot to say. I think actually overall, uh, so it's a, a highly recommended great movie. Movie and it's uh is that I think that actually might even be on Netflix. It may be. I'm not sure. Huh. Well, either way, it's totally worth checking yeah. out, and it's. That's one that that every time I watch it, I remember like, oh yeah, this is, this is out there. Yeah, but I'm in. Oh and yeah, it, it was. That's that's a cool movie, and I'm glad I got to see it on the big screen. Oh me that too. Was yeah, it was quite it. the experience. And if you're gonna watch it, watch it with subtitles, you idiot. Yeah, yeah. I hate that shit. Um, if I were to recommend, I'm trying to think of what I watched recently. I've watched so much. I'm gonna recommend something really weird. Okay. Um, and it's because it's something that I never intended to watch. But uh, I ended up watching it. I got an email from Netflix that was like, we have an original documentary. You should check it out. Oh, I think I know what you're going to say. Mitt. Yeah. The Mitt Romney story. I was like, what in our history together, Netflix, <laughs> makes you think that I give a fuck about any of this? Yeah. And then I opened up on my iPad. I opened up the Netflix. And it was like, you know, check out Mitt. And I was like, I, I got 20 minutes. Yeah. I'll put it on just to see. And I watched the whole thing. Um, it's really cool. Uh, partially because it's not about rooting for Mitt Romney at all, really. It's more about the process of... It was more about film than I thought, Mm -hmm. uh, because it was just the process of campaigning and how, you know, there was a day where a teacher could run for president. Sure. You have to be a billionaire to run for president. Yeah, It's the only way now. And what's weird is... One of the things that I thought was a failure of Mitt Romney's campaign is that they couldn't really prove to me that he was a real person. <laughs> and I think that this movie succeeded in going, oh, wow, there's a human here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And whether you agree with him or disagree with him is irrelevant. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about him. I don't give a shit. I'm not that political. Yeah. But it was one of those where I watched the process of him running and the personal toll that it took on him and his family and just the the process of doing it, how much money and and really working the media system that yeah. it took to even come close was fascinating. That ma- matched with the fact that he has like 500 kids and they all love him. <laughs> they all call him Papa. But uh, one of the things that I thought was was so cool about it, there's a great scene where the interviewer says to one of his sons, they ask him like, you know, what do you think is like, what's good and bad about him potentially being president? And the guy's answer is, do you want the media answer? Or do you want the real answer? Oh, wow. and he says, well, the media answer would be, you know, hey, uh, you know, we're at an opportunity where where there's a chance that someone with the right connections can really come in and shake up the system and make a change. He's like, and the real answer is, well, I don't know. I, I love my dad. He's going to be good for the job because he's good at every job he does. But at the same time, I do I really want to be related to the president? Do I really want all of the bullshit that that entails? Yeah, yeah. Can we really handle this as a family? I don't know. And it was one of those where you, you go, wow, yeah. there's such a difference to reality once a camera's pointed at it. Yeah. And then when you distill that down further to a media campaign, yeah. There is no reality, and if just as a statement to how fake any sort of political process can be, it, it was fascinating. 
And um and, and it's just very light and enjoyable and it's like twenty minutes long. <laughs> it's like an hour and a half, but it really felt like nothing. And um like I said, I, I have no personal opinions about yeah. Mitt Romney. I couldn't give a fuck. Right. Um I didn't vote that round because yeah, I didn't yeah. care. And uh it was very interesting. And it is interesting. Like I said, both in terms of a political spectrum and both in terms of just what does film mean in terms yeah. of how we act in front of a lens. I recommend it. It was a lot of fun to watch. All right. It was cool. Uh, let's do let's do some plugs. Uh, you oh, can yeah. find me on Twitter at Filmadelphia. That's with an F. Uh, I will be out in Concha Hocken on February 22nd for the Captain Action Comedy Show. Uh, Great show. Yeah, I'm That's very excited for that. Time. I'm super excited. Uh, March 15th is the one-year anniversary of All Bets Are Off, the uh, the showcase that my friend Bauer and I put on at World Cafe Live. This is a notable show because this is the first one that I'm not that on. you're not <laughs> on, I know. Uh, Rick Giuliani has replaced you. Uh, nice, good. Uh, as, as our repeat guest. Uh, and uh, uh, you can find me and Bauer on uh, another uh, podcast I do called Trailer Trash with Mike and Garrett. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Dan Scully. Um, definitely follow that. I've really been trying to push that in terms with my blog as well. Uh, TheDanScully.tumblr.com. Definitely check that out. That's where I put my thoughts on pop culture, you know, just things that are happening in the world and movie reviews and such like that. And also, feel free to contribute. I will post it and credit oh, you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, please feel free to contribute. Um, we have... Uh, uh, next Saturday, the 15th, I'll be performing at Comedy Gasm at the Irish Pole. Uh, always a good show. Come out and support. Uh, uh, Rachel Fogletto puts on the show. It's always a good time. I've been to a few. This is my first time performing, and I'm more excited about it than I am about most shows that I do because it's always, always, always a blast. And you should definitely support Rachel. Really a mover and shaker in the scene. She's great. Um, really, really great. And um, also check out supercrappyfuntime.com for my other show. And um, I have one more thing. Oh, yeah. Also, uh, something we should kind of announce. Uh, nothing's really oh, yeah, yeah. in stone yet, but we're becoming part of a podcast network with the High Note Comedy guys and Plus Two Comedy. Uh, Noah Houlihan runs it. He's uh, Nerd Central. This is one of the dudes I went to WrestleMania with <laughs> to give you a feel. Uh, he did a, uh, I booked a show once where he headlined and he came dressed as Speed Racer. <laughs> so he's the kind of guy that always, always, always has a connection. And... Um, He's putting out a podcast network, and we're going to be handling the movie end of yes. things. So definitely look him up. Check it out. And as more details start to coalesce, uh, it's going to be exciting. We'll find yeah. more avenues where you can hear us and see us. But the year of movie movie has begun. Yes. And every two weeks, we're going to be putting out a show for you. More so episodes. School more yourself. episodes. More. More, more episodes. More. more uh, better and I think one thing that I should say is we want feedback. Yes. What please. do you want us to talk about? On the Facebook page, on the iTunes page, whatever you got. Tweet at us, at I Like 2 Movie, the number two. Yep. Um, uh, Facebook.com slash I Like 2 Movie, the number two. Just get back to us. Uh, we, we don't want to just be, you know mushing about movies that that we love if there's something you love or think is worth discussion we want to talk about that yeah absolutely and um yeah let uh, us know and we may be doing a uh a, if you're in the philadelphia area we may be doing a live oscars uh recording we're not we're we not oh we're doing it we just don't know the yeah, details we gotta, yet. we gotta work it out but we, we we will be there uh live on the on the night of the oscars uh and uh if, as long as you're in philly come see my uh my open mic every tuesday at medusa lounge we do and I, I, I think that's it uh, I think for, that's for this for this week. I love Man, Die Hard. Die Hard. It's incredible. I think it's my favorite. It's movie. incredible. I, I, I actually think I might agree with you. It's, I, it's too good. It's, it's incredible. 
it's, it's and it, usually when I go, oh, but one of the things I always say is, well, it might not be the best movie, but it's my favorite movie. Yeah. I can't find a flaw in Die Hard no, at me all. Neither. There's not a hole in it, so I it feel might like just be the best movie. Ghostbusters is still probably the best for me, uh, just because I love Ghostbusters. But Die Hard is right there. Well, it's got that connection right with William Atherton playing yeah, the 1980s in it. dick. Yeah, Ghostbusters was in it. Yeah, uh, and Bonnie Bedelia. <laughs> what a name! What, what a, name. a name! Bonnie Bedelia. Yeah. Ba-ba-ba. Oh, and what and what is uh, what's what's it, what's Ellis's name? Oh, Ellis has the greatest name ever. Hart Bachner. Hart Bachner. Oh, it's so good. Well, uh, I'm afraid I'm going to fuck this up this time. Okay, here we go. Well, my name is Garrett Smith. And my name is Dan Scully. I like to movie movie. I like to movie movie. And you like to movie movie. You do. You do. So we like like to to movie. movie. Can we do it one more time? Yeah, okay. We got this. Wait, let's do it. But without any filler, let's just do it as if we're doing it, you know, the template. Here Here we go. go. I like to movie movie. I like to movie movie. You, you like, like to movie movie. movie. We, we like, like to movie. movie.